Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 1, Chapter 21. Previously on Pride and Prejudice, we have met the Bennets and the Lucases, the Bingleys and Mr. Darcy, Mr. Wickham, all of these main great characters for ourselves. The basic rundown. Darcy, infatuated with Lizzie, but he insulted her when they first met and was kind of a dick. She hates him. Mr. Collins is inheriting the Longbourn estate, and he came to Longbourn to find a wife, and he proposed to Lizzie, and she doesn't like him, and said no, and her mother's in an uproar about it. Um, they've, Mr. Bingley is wealthy and has two sisters who are snotty and Jane Bennett is in love with Bingley, but is very shy about it. And Mr. Bingley is in love with Jane and is not quite so shy about it, but his sisters don't approve. And we are most recently still dealing with Mr. Collins's proposal we saw Mr. Collins propose, and then last chapter was all about the kind of fallout from that proposal of how everyone reacted, um, you know, how Mr. Collins is all angry but can't understand why anyone wouldn't want to marry him because he's such a good catch, and uh, all of that sort of stuff. Mrs. Bennett just in an completely having a meltdown about how horrible it is that Lizzie refuses to marry him and on and on and on. And so that was last chapter is dealing with that um, sort of backside of the story. Now we're going to get back into something not Mr. Collins related, at least not as much, um, and have a little bit more Mr. Wickham and a little bit more Bingley stuff. So that's what we're getting into with chapter... 21 and we are almost done with the first volume so volume one i'm looking at this it looks like it has 23 chapters this is 21 so after this we're going to have two more chapters in the first volume so the first third of this novel um we're getting very very close to volume two which is exciting so we'll be right back we'll be talking about chapter 21 So, chapter 21 starts off still talking about Mr. Collins, who we've been talking about nonstop for the past couple chapters, um, saying that even the discussion of Mr. Collins' offer is now nearly at an end. Um, and so Elizabeth had only to suffer from the uncomfortable feelings necessarily attending it, and occasionally from some peevish, peevish illusion of her mother. Um, and as for the gentleman himself, so Mr. Collins... His feelings were chiefly expressed not by embarrassment or dejection or by trying to avoid her, but by stiffness of manner and resentful silence. He scarcely ever spoke to her, and the assiduous attentions which he had been so sensible of himself were transferred to the re for the rest of the day to Miss Lucas, whose civility in listening to him was a seasonable relief to them all, and especially to her friend. So here is some interesting sort of foreshadowing of the situation. 
Um, so this is still like, I think the same day of the proposal. So we had the whole proposal scene, which happened kind of in the morning. Then we had the fallout of it. And I believe Charlotte came over like that afternoon-ish time is where that discussion we had that ended chapter 20. If I am getting the time right, if anybody has any thoughts on that, let me know. But this is how I'm sort of reading the time frame that that was like the last two chapters happened on the same day. And now we are starting this next chapter on still that same day. Um, that it was almost over and that Mr. Collins is now spending most of his time for the rest of that day talking to Miss Lucas, so Charlotte, um, and that's great for everyone. And foreshadowing, of course, that we're going to find out in the next, I think it's either the next chapter or the chapter after. It's, it happens in volume one, so it's going to happen soon, um, that he ends up engaged to Charlotte. This is sort of foreshadowing that Charlotte seems to be able to put up with him in a way that none of the Bennets can. Um, so then it's, so that's the first chapter, which I think is still on that first day, because then it says the morrow produced no abatement. So then we're, next chapter, we're skipping to the next day. So the morrow, the morrow, tomorrow. Um, so the next day, Mrs. Bennet is still in ill humor and ill health. And Mr. Collins was also in the same state of angry pride. Um, and Elizabeth hopes that because he's so upset, he might leave early, but he will not do so. And he was always to have gone on Saturday, and to Saturday he still meant to stay. So, Mr. Collins is mad and angry and annoying, but he refuses to leave. Sounds about right. Alright, so, after breakfast, the girls all walk into Meryton. Well, it says the girls. I don't know if that means all five of them. I assume at least the four, because obviously Lydia and Kitty would go, and obviously Elizabeth and Jane would go. So really, it's just, is Mary going with them? I assume so, by just saying the girls, but it's, it's not clear that it's for sure all five of them. But it says the girls, so I'm going to go with all five of them. Um, they go to Meryton, and they are specifically wanting to look at, or to ask about Mr. Wickham. And be sad about the fact that he didn't come to the ball, which if you're, again, a timeline, the ball happened now two days ago. Because the ball at Netherfield happened. The next day is when um, Mr. Collins proposes and we have two chapters happening on that day. And then we still start this chapter on that same day. And then we have, we go to the morrow. So now it's the day after Mr. Collins' proposal and two days after the ball. So this is all, like, there's a lot of stuff happening in these, in very quick succession time-wise. Um, so they're going to see if Mr. Wickham is back in town, because remember, he had left to go to town, go to London, um, and missed the ball, and everyone was very sad that Mr. Wickham missed the ball at Netherfield, so they're going to Meryton to see if he's back, and to lament over his absence from the Netherfield ball. When they get into town, they find him there, um, and he walks with them to their aunt's house in town, um, and it says, where his regret and vexation, so they go to the aunt's, and there at his aunt, their aunt's house, his regret and vexation and the concern of everybody was well talked over. To Elizabeth, however, he voluntarily acknowledged that the necessity of his absence had been self-imposed. So here's what he has to say about that. I found, as the time drew near, that I had better not meet Mr. Darcy, that to be in the same room, the same party with him for so many hours together, might be more than I could bear and that scenes might arise unpleasant to more than myself. Again, I think that this is a bit of a red flag, that he is lying to everyone. Like, he is telling everyone he had to get out of town 
like on business. There was a reason he needed to be in London at that specific time. Um, and now at the ball, one of his friends sort of indicated that the real reason was because of Darcy. And now he is admitting flat out himself that the real reason is because he wanted to avoid Darcy. Whereas at the first conversation we had, I believe that was also at Mrs. Phillips's house, um, with Mr. Wickham, he very flatly said that, like, he's not worried about running into Mr. Darcy. If Mr. Darcy wants to see him, he's the one who has to go. That he's not scared of him, blah, blah, blah. And then the first time there would be this social interaction where he would have to be in the same place as Mr. Darcy, instead of his, like, kind of bravado from his initial conversation, it's Mr. Wickham that is the one who leaves. Darcy shows up at a place where he thinks Wickham might show up. Um, and it's Wickham who doesn't have, like, the guts to show his face. Which I think does sort of indicate to us who is the one who has something to hide, who is the one who has something to be, I guess, sort of worried about, right? Um, it doesn't seem like Darcy's the one who has something to be ashamed of or worried about. Just saying that. So I think those is showing us some of this. But Lizzie doesn't see it that way. She, she highly approved of his forbearance. And they had leisure for a full discussion of it and for all the commendation which they civilly bestowed on each other. So they're just flirting with each other. So all the commendation they civilly bestowed on each other, I, they're complimenting each other and flirting and saying, oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, you're so wonderful too. Blah, blah, blah. So he's still a good conversationist. Lizzie is still into him. Um, but I do think that especially as a second... On a, on a second read, I don't know that I, I really don't think I picked up on all of this on the first read. It was so long ago now that I have a hard time not, I have a very hard time remembering a time when I didn't know what was going on and what like the backstory is and what the characters are going through. Because, you know, I first read this book 15, 20 years ago. I don't even know a long time ago. Um, and I've read it many times and I've seen all the adaptations. So you already kind of know where this is going. So it's really hard for me to think of like, what did I think the first time I read it? Which, by the by, is something that I think is really cool about Pod and Prejudice, another podcast that if you are not listening to, I highly recommend, um, where they have one of the hosts of that podcast has never read these books before, doesn't know these stories, and they've gone through now um, Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. And I think it's very interesting for me to hear somebody who has never read the book actually go through because, like I said, it's so hard for me to, like, even, I don't know, imagine what it, what this book, how this book reads if you don't know where it's going. Because it's just so ingrained in me and so much a part of me at this point that I can't even separate it out to the point of thinking of what would somebody who hasn't read this before think of this. It's so hard for me to separate that out. And that's part of why I've said that, like, this book, this podcast is full of spoilers is because I can't deal in um trying to pretend like I don't know what's happening and pretend like I like Wickham I can't even I don't think I can do that because I know where this is going so much that I can't pretend I don't um so anyway highly recommend Pod and Prejudice I think it's a cool way to go through the book but my point is that I it's hard for me not to see the red flags now that I'm going through. I think it's very interesting that I don't think I saw them the first time. I'm pretty sure I did not, but I can't really remember for sure. But now as a rereader is going through this story, they're so glaring. And yet on an initial read, as you go through it, I don't think they stand out. 
I don't think they stood out to me. I don't think they necessarily stand out to an initial reader, um, especially if you're just kind of reading through for fun and not, you know, highlighting and looking for every little um, piece of this book. But I think it's really interesting that and really something that's great about Jane Austen, you know, who knows she was a great writer, um, is that she's able to weave this stuff in where on a reread you can see all these red flags about Wickham that didn't stick out necessarily on an initial read. And I think some of these, some of this stuff is that. Um, and I think that also is, this next section is part of it as well. So I'm going to get into that. So they are sort of flirting with each other. Wickham and another officer walk them all back to Longbourn. And during the walk, Wickham pays a t particular attention to Lizzie. And she sees this as a double advantage. Says she felt all the compliment it offered to herself. And it was most acceptable as an occasion of introducing him to her father and mother. And then we completely change the topic. So I think that that is an important factor here that we don't get to see Wickham meet Mr. and Mrs. Bennet. We know that he does now because she's going to introduce them, but we don't get to see that meeting. That's, that scene doesn't happen in the book. We just are completely moving on. Because as soon after their return, a letter for, was delivered to Miss Bennet, meaning Jane, um, and it came from Netherfield and was opened immediately. And Elizabeth saw her sister's countenance change as she read it. Jane recollected herself and is trying to like get herself back together again, but it's clear that something from the letter has upset her, and this distracts Lizzie, even from Wickham. And so the scene of Wickham and this other officer coming and meeting Mr. and Mrs. Bennet and, you know, being with the family is completely skipped over and sort of missed in favor of this letter for Jane, which I think as a reader tells you what's important, right? It definitely gives us this impression that Wickham is sort of fleeting like he's in this chapter again but he's not given nearly the importance he was when he got an entire chapter devoted to his conversation to Lizzie at the card party at the Phillips's house now he you know has this conversation but we don't we get very few um lines from this conversation I think we just get the one line where he says you know scenes might arise unpleasant to more than myself and other than that we're just getting this sort of vague idea that they're flirting and they're having a nice conversation but we don't get any of it um and then lizzie is completely distracted by this letter that comes to jane and we just mr wickham is gone and just we don't get to see any of the interaction with the family we don't get to see him saying goodbye he just kind of disappears off the face of the earth and now we're focused on this letter and the jane situation um which i do think is a hint to the reader about his relative importance to Lizzie long-term and to the story. Um, that I think it is a hint to us that he is not endgame, right? That he is not the important character that is going to be the one Lizzie ends up with. So I think you, this is helpful in sort of giving us that relative importance piece. So Wickham's off, which is good because I'm over Wickham. Um, and we find out that this letter is coming from Caroline Bingley telling Jane that all of them have left Netherfield and we're never coming back, essentially. So actually, I want to talk a little bit about the form that this takes in now, because I think it's interesting. We don't actually get, you know, the full text of the letter that Caroline writes. You know, and there are other places where we just get the letter in its entirety printed into the, into the novel, into the narrative and that's not what happens here instead what we get is jane reading pieces of it multiple times 
and it seems like those pieces are read sort of out of order. It's hard to know um, exactly, and I and we also don't know whether we get the entirety of the letter. We get the pieces that Jane reads, which I think is very interesting in just formatting of what how they've done this. That instead of giving us the whole letter the way they have with other characters, this is very much just giving us sort of piecemeal bits and pieces of the letter throughout the next couple pages, all read out loud by Jane, and Jane's not just handing the letter to Lizzie and letting her read it. Um, which is a choice, and it makes it more into a conversation, more where they get to talk about the, of the lines of the party, or the lines of the letter, which I think is good. I, I really enjoy the way that they make this letter more interactive between Jane and Elizabeth by having Jane read it out loud and then having them sort of have conversations about the different pieces. And then Lizzie will make a point and Jane will say, but no, she said this, and then reads another section of the letter. I think it's a very interesting way to do it. Um, and it's different than what Jane Austen has done earlier in the book and how she handles some of the other letters. And I really like it. So the first chunk of the letter that Jane reads aloud is information saying that Caroline and... Darcy and the Hursts are all going to follow Mr. Bingley into London and stay at Mr. Hurst's house. And this is the part that Jane reads aloud. It's, she says, I do not pretend to regret anything I shall leave in Hertfordshire except your society, my dearest friend, but we will hope at some future period to enjoy many returns of the delightful intercourse we have known and in the meanwhile may lessen the pain of separation by very frequent and most unreserved correspondence. I depend on you for that. To these high-flown expressions, Elizabeth listened with all the insensibility of distrust. And though the suddenness of their removal surprised her, she saw nothing in it really to lament. It was not to be supposed that their absence from Netherfield would prevent Mr. Bingley's being there. And as to the loss of their society, she was persuaded that Jane must soon cease to regard it in the enjoyment of his. So I think it's, it's interesting we get the immediate thoughts process Lizzie goes through, is that... She's surprised that they all left Netherfield so quickly, following Bingley to town, but she's also, like, basically, um, good riddance. Like, she doesn't want them there anyway. She doesn't like the Bingley sisters. She doesn't like Mr. Hurst. She claims to not like Mr. Darcy, and I think at this point she still doesn't like Mr. Darcy, but her opinion on that matter will change. So her initial thoughts are basically just good riddance to all the rest of the riffraff and hopefully Mr. Bingley will come back and Jane will be fine that she doesn't get to see the rest of her friends because Mr. Bingley is the most important one. And we already know that Lizzie doesn't really like the sisters and doesn't think that they're good friends to Jane anyway, so she's fine with it. And that's what she then communicates to Jane, saying that it's sad that you didn't get to see them but hopefully you'll see them again soon and you know especially if you marry mr bingley you'll be their sister you'll get to see them all the time so don't worry about it um and then this is where jane says okay but the letter also says and that's where she explains that caroline says that mr bingley went to london and thought that it would only take him three or four days to do with whatever business he's doing there um, but we're convinced that that cannot be so. And also that once Charles gets to town, he will not want to go away again. So we're going to follow him and we're going to stay at Mr. Hurst's house so he doesn't have to stay at a hotel. 
and you know so many of my friends are already in town for the winter and we're gonna have a great time there so we're not coming back we're just gonna stay there for the winter in London we've decided and I hope you have a great Christmas and that you'll have so many bow you won't notice the three we've taken so I believe that means like by bow she's meaning male suitors or male attendants I, I assume not suitors because she's by saying three she's including Mr. Hurst right so she's talking about Bingley Darcy and Mr. Hurst are the three bow that they are taking away so those aren't a, you know Mr. Hurst is obviously married so he's not a suitor material so I'm not sure I quite understand the definition of bow she's using other than just men in general I'm not sure but anyway she's hoping that she has so many men to flirt with she won't even notice that Mr. Bingley's gone um and Jane says, so see, they're not coming back this winter. And Elizabeth replies that that only means Miss Bingley doesn't mean they should. And Jane is just flabbergasted that Elizabeth could have thoughts that anyone has ill intention about anything. And saying that the next part is the part that really hurts her and that's where Caroline really stabs the dagger in. It's a low blow and says that she's so excited to be seeing Georgiana Darcy again and then admitting in sort of like this backhanded like, oh, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm so excited to see Georgiana Darcy because I'm hoping that my brother's going to marry her and she's so great and both the families want this to happen and it's going to be such a great match. And, you know, she is pretending like she doesn't know that Jane is in love with her brother and is like gushing about this girl that she hopes her brother ends up with. And it's so mean. Um, but Jane is obviously not reading it that way. And then we get to like this situation where Jane and Lizzie are sort of in an argument where Jane sees this as Caroline being kind and trying to put her on her guard and trying to like, indicates to Jane that she shouldn't have designs on Mr. Bingley because that's they are, his, the feelings are not reciprocated. Whereas Lizzie is saying that this is Miss Bingley knowing that there are feelings between her brother and Jane, but she doesn't want it to happen because the Bennett family is not good enough for them. And so instead of and so she's trying to come in between them and cause problems. But Jane can't believe that because Jane can't think ill of anybody. So she can't think that, you know, Caroline would be so cruel. And so she thinks that maybe just that Caroline has deceived herself, which Elizabeth goes right along with. Like, yes, sure. Believe that if it makes you feel better. And so they have that conversation back and forth. And I, I like the way Elizabeth comes back with it. You're right. You could not have started a more happy idea since you will not take comfort in mine. Believing that Caroline's a, dur a jerk. Um, believe her to be as deceived by all means. You have now done your duty by her and must fret no longer. So the way she says that is just, I think, chef's kiss. It's great. Where she's saying that, fine, Jane, don't think ill of Caroline. I, you know, you won't take comfort in the fact that Caroline's just being a jerk to you. So just believe that she's wrong 
and we'll move on. Either we'll come to the same place. I think that she's wrong and lying to you because she's lying to you and telling you something that's not true. And you can just believe that she has been deceived. But either way, she's wrong. We are going to be on agreement that she is wrong. Okay, cool. So then they move on. And Jane is saying, Oh, but how could I marry a man whose sisters don't want me to marry him? And Lizzie just kind of laughs at her about that and says, You must decide for yourself. And if upon mature deliberation you find that the misery of disobliging his two sisters is more than equivalent to the happiness of being his wife, I advise you by all means to refuse him. And then, you know, Jane just kind of laughs off because, of course, she can't refuse him. Um, and so they believe, so then they talk again about him not coming back this winter, um, saying that something could happen, you know, six months if he's waiting till next summer or whatever to come back that it'll be forever and you know so much could happen in six months and then you know they probably would never get married and Elizabeth doesn't think that that'll happen and here's the place where I think Elizabeth is wrong so it says I, I think this is all from Elizabeth's perspective because the book pretty much is it says the idea of his returning no more Elizabeth treated with the utmost contempt it appeared to her merely the suggestion of Caroline's interested wishes, and she could not for a moment suppose that those wishes, however openly artfully spoken, could influence a young man so totally independent of everyone. And here I think we get to Lizzie being an unreliable narrator, because the idea that Mr. Bingley is independent isn't really true. Now, I mean, that depends on the way you think about it. He's independent in that he has his own fortune. He has his own money. He is, as far as we are aware, you know, they've made a point of saying that he has reached his majority, so he is in control of his money. He's in control of his own fortune. So theoretically, yes, he is independent. But what we know about Bingley and what we've learned about him, and I'm on, you know, in this first section of the book and almost the first third of the book, is that he's not truly independent in that he needs every, he needs opinions from everyone. He is very easily influenced. I mean, and that is coming back to that conversation they had when Lizzie was staying at Netherfield while Jane was sick. And they had the whole conversation about how, you know, if that, how Bingley was, would quick to move. And if he decided to leave, he would just be gone one day, which it turns out he does. Um, though not necessarily because he initially wanted to himself. Um, but then Darcy's like, but if a friend asked you to stay, you probably would. And so here it is where he's got to London and he wants to come back. But if a friend asks him to stay, he probably will. And as we later find out, if Darcy asks him to stay, he probably will. And so he is technically independent, but in reality doesn't seem to have a lot of independence because he is so easily moved by other people and his friend and sisters are very easily able to manipulate him, it seems. And here Elizabeth is thinking that nobody could influence him because he's so independent of everyone. And I think that that is an indication to us that Elizabeth doesn't know what she's talking about. Because financially he might be independent of everyone. But I think Elizabeth should know from the time she's spent with him that he is not for really independent of everyone. And I think that that is another line that kind of sticks out as on a reread of indicating you know, just like I was saying we've got the red flags about Wickham that you really see on a reread. I think we also see places where Elizabeth is an unreliable narrator that kind of stick out that I never would have questioned on a first read through, I don't think. 
Um, but that line really stuck out to me, this particular reread of that Mr. Bingley is so, so wholly independent of everyone, to just be like, no, he's not. He is nowhere near independent. Again, financially, yes, but in reality, he is not independent in his decision-making processes. And so I thought that's a really interesting line to have us, have the way the book is written that it's so through Elizabeth's eyes, this line could come out as almost a, the narration, but it is really Elizabeth's perception of the situation that if you're going through as a reader and just take everything Elizabeth says as gospel, you know, take it as truth, it can mislead you. And I think that that's really interesting as you go through that when you, ha you have to almost step out of the narration of the book to get a perception on what is really happening because Elizabeth's perception is so warping what you see. And I think that's really interesting. It's part of what makes this book so great. Um, so Lizzie convinces Jane that he'll come back very soon and that makes Jane feel so much better. Um, and so Jane and Elizabeth are both in agreement that Bingley will return to Netherfield and, you know, will propose to Jane very soon and it's all going to be great. And they both decide that Mrs. Bennet, their mother, should not hear of this news, or at least not the news, shouldn't read the whole letter. She can find out that they all left netherfield but that they're not going to tell her that the letter is indicating that nobody's coming back this winter um that that's not something that they want to share with mrs bennett so she doesn't know that mr bingley's probably not coming back and she's still very uh, upset about it and like it says and she bewailed it as exceedingly unlucky that the lady should happen to go away just as they were all getting so intimate together after lamenting it, however, at some length, she had the consolation of thinking that Mr. Bingley would soon be down again, and soon dining at Longbourn, and the conclusion of all was the comfortable declaration that, though he had not been, in, though he had been invited only to a family dinner, she would take the care to have two full courses. So, again, Mrs. Bennet will be Mrs. Bennet, that there's this huge, she's all upset that they've left, and oh, it's so unfortunate, but you know, when Bingley comes back, we're going to have him to dinner. And then, of course, that she's going to impress him by having a very good dinner. And that is how chapter 21 ends, is with Mrs. Bennett having the last word there about making sure that their dinner has two full courses. And so my overall perception of that chapter, what we kind of get out of it is we get kind of Mr. Collins being pushed to the background. We get Mr. Wickham kind of being pushed to the background. And then we really focus in on the Jane Bingley situation. So most of the chapter is really focusing in on Bingley leaving Netherfield, the rest of his family then following and Darcy following, and then them saying that they're going to stay in London for the winter. So, and then, you know, Jane falling apart about this also gives us the indication of how how in love Jane is, all of that, because it's giving us insights into how upset Jane is that he's gone away and that she, you know, in this time period, she can't write to him. She can't have really any communication with him. She's only able to have any communication because through the sisters. Um, so it's a very troubling time for Jane, and I think that helps us get a little bit more invested in that romance between Jane and Bingley by seeing how broken up Jane is. Um, but it also, I think, pulls us back to Charlotte being so smart in that it's very clear that 
Bingley and Darcy don't know how upset Jane is about this and wouldn't have necessarily had any indication by her actions in front of them because of her modesty and shyness. Um, so yeah, it's very sad to see this, especially knowing what's going to happen next and that Bingley is in fact not coming back the way that Elizabeth has persuaded Jane that he will. And it's very sad to know that Jane is, you know, to see the start of Jane's heartbreak that we will see for many chapters to come because she doesn't get her happy ending until very much at the end of this novel. So poor Jane, she's had a lot of suffering to go through between now and then. And this is the very beginning of it. And it's very sad. <sighs> but, so that is the end of chapter 21. Next time we'll be back with chapter 22, which if I remember correctly is the, when we will find out about Collins and Charlotte, which has been sort of hinted at at this point very minimally. Nothing that I would have, you know, guessed at on a first read at all that there's anything between them. But I do think it's interesting that on a reread you can find little pieces that show that Charlotte is not against Mr. Collins as in as much as Elizabeth is. And how, you know, it does. I think there are ways you highlight where... Charlotte sees things so differently than Lizzie does and it's very interesting to me on the reread how you can kind of pick out those pieces and how skillfully that they are sort of weaved in the narrative that you can completely miss them if you're not looking closely enough which I think is really interesting but I'm sure I will have a lot to say next time because as I've talked about before I believe Charlotte is one of my favorites I love Charlotte to pieces and I think that she is underrated by a lot of people and I really am I'm excited to talk about her choices and how I disagree with Lizzie um, and her, Lizzie's sort of interpretation of Charlotte's decision um, but in any case I will get into that next time when I'm back for chapter 22 I'll see you then bye